you move ashore thinking that you've gained all these qualifications and you can move into this capacity, but you have to respect the fact that it's a new position, that there's skills that you do not know. The quicker that you can understand that and be humble about it, the better you will become. From the Marine Society, Britain's oldest maritime charity, this is the Coming Ashore podcast, bringing you insights and anecdotes from maritime professionals into the world of shipping aimed at helping seafarers to come ashore or those looking for guidance after already making the transition shoreside. Coming Ashore is a mentor programme delivered in association with Maritime London, the ITF Seafarers Trust and Nautilus International. It looks to help seafarers secure employment in shoreside roles across the maritime industry. And now, let's get straight into today's podcast. Welcome to the Coming Ashore podcast. Each episode, we look to learn a bit more about the maritime industry and the people who keep it running. My name is Will Fuller, and sat next to me is one of my co-hosts, Nathaniel Phelps. Good evening. And sat across from us, we have our third co-host, James Chalk. Hello. Um, And today we're looking to understand the maritime industry uh, a little bit better by talking to one of our hosts about it. And we're going to talk to James Today, he's going to be the subject of our podcast. Um, and uh, James is an operations and risks manager at Carnival UK. So, James, uh, what's your favorite dinosaur? My favorite dinosaur? I was always fascinated by Triceratops, I think. Mean, yes, the, the three horns. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very normal like child's toy to enjoy, but I've carried that with me into adulthood. I'm glad you've carried that with you. I think yeah. that's a, a solid enough answer. Do you have it with you this evening at the mascot? Yes, it's yeah. in the car. <laughs> I like to think that you've actually physically carried a triceratops <laughs> with you everywhere yeah, since you were absolutely. a child into being an adult. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, onto onto more more work focused things. Can you tell us how you got into the maritime industry to start with? Cast your mind back. It was um, a bit of a shambles, I, I would say. That my I originally went to university um, to study history. I went through school very much being told that go to university and follow the subjects that you're good at if you don't know what you want to do already. Mm-hmm. So I went to university, the University of Southampton, and did a, uh, a history degree. And then after that, very quickly went to work into London, like all good boys do. Um, at the same time of doing that, I also worked part-time in a John Lewis store in my local area, stacking shelves. Um, and as I saved up enough money from both those jobs, I actually went back down to Southampton to do an RYA course. I did the day skipper program, both theory and practical, and I did uh, the powerboat scheme all the way through up until intermediate. And whilst I was on those courses, I uh, was joined by super yacht crew who were also doing those courses to gain their commercial tickets to do the yacht masters. And throughout the weeks that we were together, they said they they 
told me all these stories about the commercial side of maritime, not just the leisure side. And it really sort of piqued my interest. I was already really keen on boating and, you, you know, being sort of a practical, hands-on guy. Um, it just really appealed to me. So as I sort of dug into it more, they actually told me that I could be paid to do it. So I ended up sort of looking at the cadet schemes um, and lo and behold, there's one right there in Southampton in Warsash. Um, so I really just fell down that rabbit hole, sort of domino after domino, and it became lodged in my brain that I really wanted to get out of London and start working with my hands and rolling up my sleeves and mucking in and following that sort of interest. Because if I was saving up all my money to go and pursue this anyway, why not be paid to go and pursue it? So that's how I really fell into it. It was a bit of a wild card at the time. I vividly remember telling my parents that that's what I wanted to do. And they at first didn't believe me. And then my mum ended up being wildly concerned about whether it was the right industry. I, I grew up sort of um, in Hertfordshire, which is very far away from any real major body of water. So no seafaring background whatsoever. It was a massive wild card. And really, it sort of scratched that itch of of sort of a vocational passion that I wanted to follow. That's really interesting. Uh, who did you go and work for initially? Like, how did you, so you, you heard from these people and then you went into the cadetship. How did you actually get into the cadetship? Who did you apply to and, and, and what kind of, what kind of companies were you applying to at the time, really? So at the time I applied actually exclusively for companies that didn't specialize in one particular area. So I didn't go and follow a cruise ship um, sector like Carnival UK, for example, or, and I didn't go chasing container ships. I went and actually applied more broadly. So um, I ended up interviewing with uh, Viking recruitment at the time. And just by chance, they put me on the path to cruise ships. I think they offered me that at the time. And I'd been on cruises as a, as a kid, so it, it seemed familiar. So that's probably why I pursued it. And I ended up sort of being sponsored by Holland America Line, which um, unless you're in the sector, you may not be familiar with, but it's it's a cruise company that's part of the Carnival Corporation, but mainly focused at the Dutch and American markets. So not very familiar here in the UK. No, that's really interesting. I think it's a really good point as well, because I mean, Everyone who's listening to this, I'm sure, will, will realise we're finding our feet. But I think we want to make this a podcast for everyone. Um, you know, whether you're in the maritime industry now, uh, whether you're looking to get in, whether you're looking to make that next step. And, and so we'll do our best here to actually explain the context behind what we're talking about as well. Um, so that even if you've got no idea of where to start in the maritime industry, uh, we might be able to give you some ideas. So after James, you, you obviously fell into the maritime industry, as you said, and you ended up working for Viking. Um, from that point of joining the industry to where you are now as, as an operations and risk manager at Carnival, can you tell us a bit about that journey? Absolutely. So um, I went through the cadet program at Warsash, um, which was I was delighted by because it was returning to Southampton, um, which I was very familiar with. Um, and I did the cadet program with Holland America and ended up uh, qualifying. And many cadet programs that are operated by cruise companies, you actually end up having three years 
where they sponsor your cadetship. And then it's followed with a guarantee of two years service as a qualified officer, which is unlike cargo-based companies and, and other companies, which at the time I was very interested in. So I, I completed my cadetship sailing on four different Holland America ships. And on my penultimate one, which is, is funny where I met my wife, it was a real game changer for me in, in sort of my attitude as well. I had some great officers on board and they really uh, inspired me to do better there. And the moment I stepped off, they, they said to me that once I qualified, that would be the first ship that I'd go back to and I got on very well with the team there. So I ended up serving as a qualified third officer for Holland America as well. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, being such a hands-on guy, I ended up being involved in all sorts of projects on board, so typically maintenance-based projects, um, sort of sprinkler systems, taking apart winches. So I worked with a lot of service engineers who would come and visit the ship and, and work on board. And um, actually, whilst I was serving on one of my contracts as a qualified officer, I helped the Lloyds surveyor, and for those that don't know, the surveyors on board go around and they make sure that all the standards of the ship are are to of uh, sufficient capacity so that they can offer certification to allow the ship to sail. We'd, we went around to the end of that offering me effectively a job saying, once you finish this contract, you can come and work for the East Coast branch in the US if you want. We'll, we'll t take you through sort of that training to become a surveyor. And again, it was sort of a light bulb moment where I was like, I don't have to work on board anymore. Like there's a broader industry beyond this. And from that point onwards, um, it sort of put me on the path of trying to move ashore effectively. So I worked really hard to then transition from ship to shore, which at first was very challenging because I had a limited background on cruise ships. Um, so I ended up doing a bit of time with Disney Cruise Lines after that, transitioning across there until finally finding an opportunity with Carnival UK as an itinerary planner uh, in their maritime department, which very much was sort of that first step ashore where I could use a lot of nautical skills and bring them shoreside. And much of it was down to good timing, but a lot of it was down to me having that trigger point of realizing I don't have to just work through the ranks on board. I can, I can move ashore as well. And since then, I've just worked through various roles within Carnival UK and have ended up here. What what happened to the offer of going to the east coast of the States? Why, why didn't you end up there? That's a really good question. I can't quite remember at the time. I think I got dissuaded, if I'm honest, or whilst I was on board. Um, I was a, a very junior ranking officer, and um, I very much remember that the environment on, on board is that once you're on board, you've, you've got this pathway before you that you, you climb up the ranks and you'll eventually be a captain. And so when, if you're in that environment, it's very hard to have that outlook and, and move out of it. So I think I just got talked out of it. And so um, it wasn't really an active decision. I think I was more shocked that I got that offer in the first place and didn't really, really know what I want to do with it. So, uh, yeah. And do you feel like that's a, it was a, like, was it a spoken barrier? It was you, you kind of shared that with your men, with your peers or with senior officers and they dissuaded you. Or is it that unspoken pressure on board of, no, this is your career path. You know, sometimes, someday stand here with four stripes on your shoulder and then you can become a surveyor. 
both, that's a very political answer, I know, but both. I, I, I'd spent so long getting to that position, um, going through the cadetship, I felt that I owed it to myself to continue the path on board. But I think also that there was undoubtedly some on board, um, on board challenges where, again, you're in that environment. And so that they want you to, to sort of remain going up the ranks. And that's what they, that's the value that they know that they can offer you. They can teach you that. But when you go and speak to someone on board about moving ashore, they may not have that understanding. Mm. And, and I think as well that, that it is right for some people to do that. I'm not trying, again, not trying to be political here, but I think that comes from the fact of some people go to sea and it is a career for life for them. And they they struggle to understand this. For some people, it's not. And it's not right for people to stay there. So so it can be that just getting that balance right and, and understanding that some people will stay there happily for their entire career. But for some people, and you know, for all of us, it was the right move to come ashore. Mm. We'll see. So you've talked about a few of the skills, the practicality, I know this maintenance, the nautical. In, in your area of the industry, which of those skills have you found to be the most important? Or is there something you haven't mentioned yet? So I, I would, there's, there's two areas of this. I think there's hard skills and then there's soft skills. So my transition to ashore, I started to reframe everything I did to, to move into a shoreside capacity. So one of those first items was to educate myself in that field and kind of give myself the, the, the edge above other individuals who potentially were in the same bucket. So I went to the Lloyds Maritime Academy. I did a diploma in ship superintendency to kind of clear myself up into that shoreside role, um, which was, was very, useful in giving me that insight um, and i would encourage anyone if you do have an inkling of what you may want to do to try and pursue that try and skill up in that area we are in an industry that values qualifications quite heavily you'll you'll listen to people in other sectors and they say degrees aren't worth the paper they're written on but that's not true for the maritime industry it's very ticket based qualification based so even doing short courses like ISM auditor or DPA courses can go a really long way. For not a lot of money, a lot of time. So if that's what you're interested in, that would be my first suggestion. But also if you're moving ashore, one of the hard skills that I learned through that, but also through my experience ashore now is educate yourself and gain commercial awareness of the industry as a whole. That move from the operating mindset of steering a ship, repairing a ship, or being a, an electrical officer on board, um, and try and think, what, where does this ship fit in the commercial arena, and why does the business that I'm working for exist? Because that can go a really long way. You have to change that mindset quite quickly when you move ashore. Um, and then the soft skills part of that is patience and persistence that it won't come immediately. You have to be persistent in your pursuit to find that role, but also have patience. Don't think that because you've got a ticket that you're entitled to that position. Work for it and, and you know, validate to people that you are worth that position. Um, develop some active listening skills. I think 
Personally, as deck officers, we're, we're taught a lot about how to give directions and orders, but very, you come across, and I would categorize myself here, but you come across individuals who haven't been taught how to actively listen to others. And that's really important in a commercial setting. And it only becomes more challenging the more senior you get shoreside. Um, and then just sort of a bit of innovation. You have to think outside the box. The path is not laid out before you like it is on board. You're not third officer, then second, then first. It's it's a twisty, windy road, and sometimes you can see opportunity, and sometimes you can't. But just think outside the box. It's it's likely that um, the answer is there. You just have to go pursuing it. I think you're completely right with that, and and I think it kind of ties in the thinking with that outside the box ties in with. Well, you said at the start where at the moment at least the industry is very focused on those qualifications and and you know a lot of a lot of employers are focused on qualifications and, and what you've got or or what you haven't got but um actually i think being innovative and being able to think outside the box especially for seafarers um means that you can actually then go on to see what soft skills you've gained through your technical skills and through your technical experience at sea and be able to repackage them into something that you can sell as a selling point for yourself to a shoreside industry role. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, doing stuff like this, I mean, this is the reason we're doing this is to help people understand, you know, you've given some great examples there of stuff that if you want to go and work shoreside in a cruise or company, skills that you'll need. And and hopefully this will help people understand actually where they need to be showing off their skills. I think it's worth, worth saying as well, you, you, you've compounded your skills as well. I'm sure it didn't feel like this when you go through it, but it all felt very intentional when you were talking us through it. You went into all these skills and you built up that portfolio and you lent very heavily on on the hard skills that would give you the advantage, the competitive advantage, shoreside. So it it sounds like you had a kind of destination in mind, and you know, I'm going to go and get the skills, get those things which I know I'm I'm lacking, in order to give me that edge. Um, and, and using your seagoing experience then as, a, as an advantage once you, once you step to shore. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very easy in hindsight to condense it all down and make it look like a very linear journey, but it certainly doesn't feel like that at the time, um, at any time in your career. Um, but what I, I would say to people is that you, you don't have to identify your, your end goal at any point. Pursue what you're interested in because you typically end up throwing yourself into that and achieving remarkable things because you're enjoying yourself. But the moment that you start considering something else or it becomes boring or you end up actually moving away from that, that's absolutely fine. Move on to the next thing because you've crossed something off the list then. That experience will undoubtedly carry itself through into the next opportunity. And that's all it's, it's about, just going through that list and pursuing what you might enjoy. And then eventually you will end up with a huge collection of skill sets I mean, my history degree, for example, with, I, I still find days now where I am leaning on sort of like the analytical side and the, the intensive reading aspects of that degree in my day-to-day -day job, which 
wasn't by design. It's just that through several iterations, that's how it's now emerged. Um, so I'd encourage people to keep pursuing those different angles, even if they don't have that goal in mind. As long as you're enjoying yourself, that's when you know that you're learning and making the most of the opportunity. Right. Um, so, James, what, what would be one piece of advice to, to bring, bring home the show? What would be one piece of advice uh, that you would give to seafarers who are looking to move into your area of the industry? I've, I, I gave this quite a lot of thought when I saw the, the question, Will. It, uh, I've tried to put it down. This is going to be very cliche now, but be a humble hustler. It, and it is, I have touched on it briefly, but the, you move ashore thinking that you've gained all these qualifications and you can move into this capacity, but you have to respect the fact that it's a new position, that there's skills that you do not know. And the quicker that you can understand that and be humble about it, the better you will become. But also, do a bit of hustling. That's what business is about. That's what your career path is about. Act the job that you want, not, and it will typically come to you. People will recognize that. Um, and don't act the job that you're in strictly. Try and reach sort of the, the peg above that. And, and always offer value first before expecting people to, to return it. That will put you in a really good position moving forward. Um, so yeah, that's my my punchline. That's that's fantastic. Um, great great advice, and I really think you sound like you're trying to coin a term there. If, if we ever get a guest come on and claim that they're a humble hustler, I'll give you a fiver because that's. Uh, um, I know that someone's going to do that now. Just to, I shouldn't have said fiver. Should I can't afford that? Um, right. Unfortunately, uh, that's the end of our discussion today. Uh, thank you for joining us, James. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you to all of you for uh, listening to us uh, at the Coming Ashore podcast. Um, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the episode and that you'll join us for the next one. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe or follow us on YouTube and Spotify to get notified on all things related to the podcast. For more information, email comingashore at ms-sc.org or visit marine-society.org forward slash coming-ashore.